Hello and welcome to God Still Speaks Through Jackasses. In the next several episodes, we're going to do a sermon critique from New Spring Church. I believe in North Carolina is where this church is. Maybe it's South Carolina. I can't remember. It doesn't matter. The, the pastor preaching the sermon's name is Clayton King, and he's filling in for Perry Noble, who is the senior pastor of this church. The sermon is on hell, and we're going to look at how Mr. King handles the doctrine of hell and the concepts he sees supporting his view of the doctrine of hell from scripture. So sit back, buckle up, and get ready for what should be a fairly interesting ride as we critique this sermon, Is Hell For Real? by Clayton King. But we don't believe that God has a right to justice when we do Him wrong. Why is it that finite you and I, people that did not create the world, that did not cast the stars into space and speak the heavens into existence, why is it that we feel like we have a right to be justified in our anger when somebody sins against us or breaks the law or takes advantage of us, but we don't like the idea that God has a right as sovereign Lord over all of the universe to demand justice whenever we offend each other and when we sin against Him. People will make the argument, well, I just believe that God is a loving God. Right, and here again is, is his argument that... That God is meeting out justice, and He will meet out justice. But that's not even scratching the surface. Again, when you put it in those terms, God is an angry little kid with a magnifying glass who got bit by an ant who wants to burn that ant because he got bit by the ant. That's the, that's the logical conclusion you come to with, with Clayton's presentation of God's justice here. And that is not scriptural, and it is not reflective of, of historic Christianity. It's something that's been made up with revivalism and North American evangelicalism that has resulted in this shoddy presentation of God. And when we present God in these ways, it's no wonder that people want to reject the entire thing altogether because he's using a personal anecdote of experience which people can relate to. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, I can see how, you know, that would make me mad so I can understand how God would be mad. But somebody cutting the line on you is not a damnable offense. The, the, the doctrine of hell and the concept of outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth, separation from God, runs much deeper than that. It's much more nuanced. It's much more mysterious. And when you relegate it to this little personal anecdote of, oh, somebody cut the line on God, so therefore he's going to send them to hell, that is a very poor, unbiblical, and, and ahistoric presentation of God. We need to get back to presenting the God that Scripture presents. And when we talk about God's justice, God's justice is something that's beautiful. In fact, I think that's a very small part of what, what, what goes on in, in the doctrine of hell. God's justice is something that's beautiful. It restores us and protects us. That's God's justice. That's something positive. That's part of his mercy, his love. But God's holiness is something else. 
It's something more mysterious. It's deeper. It's something that we can't easily explain, categorize, put into a box. We won't understand it. Um, Maybe we'll understand it on that day when Jesus returns, but maybe we won't. Maybe this is something we'll never totally understand is God's holiness. It may remain a mystery that we will continue to search for and seek out as we spend eternity in God's kingdom. But none of this, but Clayton's going to have none of this. He's not going to talk about God's holiness. He's going to talk about this justice piece, which he compares to human justice. Let's listen on. And eventually everybody, no matter what they believe, will go to heaven. And I, and I understand that. I wish that were true. It would be great if everybody could just live however they wanted to and then the grace of God saved everybody and sent everybody to heaven. But there's a problem with that. Not only does the scripture not teach that, but the problem with that philosophically lies in just doing a little more deep thinking than that. Okay, this is where it really starts to get bad. Did you catch that little piece where Clayton says, you can live however you want and still go to heaven? He's going to preach a works salvation in this message. See, American evangelicalism has gone from Arminianism, which basically teaches that God still, it's still monergism, where God does all the work. It's one person working, which is God. Even in Arminianism, God quickens the soul, and that person is then able to, quote, make a decision for Christ. Clayton's not going to talk about that. Clayton's going to talk about what you have to do in order to be saved. And as we know from the encounter with the rich young ruler and Jesus, with Jesus, that is the precise wrong question to ask Jesus. What must I do to be saved? Because there's nothing you can do to be saved. You can repent and believe because God has given you the faith to believe in turn from your unbelief, which is repentance. And he's going to screw that term up as well. He's going to talk about repentance in some sort of behavioral, moralistic way. And that's not at all what repentance is about. Clayton is also overreaching here because he's saying, I wish that everyone went to heaven. Now, it seems clear from the scriptures that there will be those who Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. It talks about the rich, uh, the rich man and Lazarus. He's going to talk about the rich man and Lazarus, where there's a, a great chasm between the two. And Lazarus, uh, Lazarus is in paradise next day uh, on Abraham's bosom. And the rich man is suffering in torment. But... I think we have to be incredibly careful when we talk about who is and who is not going to be consigned to eternal torment, which is what we call the doctrine of hell. Even in a general sense, like Clayton says here, he's saying definitively there will be people in hell. How does he know this? Now, there's a passage in Deuteronomy that says, if you have a disobedient child, take him to the officials at the city gates and have him covered up with stones. There is not one passage in all of Scripture that says that this actually occurred. Is it not possible 
that even though Jesus and God talk about eternal punishment through the scriptures, that a person there might not be anybody there. It, it is God's will that none should perish. Okay, now it seems clear that there will be those who are consigned to eternal punishment. And we can talk about this. We can talk about what the scriptures say about it. But we cannot say who will be there. We not specifically. We can't say how many will be there in general. Will there be just a few? Who will it be? How does it work? Etc. Etc. All we can do is testify to what the scriptures say. And for Clayton to make these generalizations and talk about, oh, well, you can, you know, some people think you can live however you want to live and you'll go to heaven. Living morality has nothing to do with our right standing before God. This is this is the this is the central message of the scriptures. And for him to say something like this, and he's going to say it over and over again. For him to say something of this nature is very telling of the fact that American I believe North American evangelicalism has slipped into at least semi Pelagianism, if not full on Pelagianism. Where it's up to you to decide for Christ and to live for Christ. And if you don't do those things, then you're going to hell. And this is not the message the Bible teaches. And he starts with it right here, and he's going to continue on with it throughout his message. If you think about it, would it really be loving of God to force people who on this earth refuse to believe in him, don't want to follow him, will not be his disciples, flip him the bird, shake their fist in his face, and say, I will not submit to a God who tells me how much I can drink and how much I can eat and how to spend my money and who I can have sex with and how I can party and what I want to do. I will not submit my life to a God who wants to control me. Would it be loving or fair or just? of a good God to force somebody against their will who did not want to follow God or his plan for their life in this life to go to heaven for eternity in the next life and be forced to worship a God that they hated and refused to believe in in this world. Okay, if this is the criteria for going to heaven, I am not going. I, I am just not because I, I flip God the bird all the time. I sin all the time. I refuse God's purposes all the time. I'm not even coming close to what Clayton is talking about here. So I'm in big trouble. If it depends on what he just talked about in order for me to gain entrance into heaven, it's a done deal. You might as well chalk it up. I'm, I'm hell bound. I am a sinner and I... The wages of sin is death. I deserve death. Is what the scriptures teach me. But praise be to God, the scriptures also teach via St. Paul that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. And you know what, folks? You will not stop being a sinner until you die. It's just that simple. You will rebel against God. Your righteousness will be as filthy rags to God. The only way that we can appear righteous before this holy God is through the imputed righteousness of Christ that he won for us on the cross. That's the only way. And all of this business about talking about flipping God the bird and not, you know, not, not, not uh, partying and drinking, and da, 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 that is all made up American evangelicalism, and it's a different religion. This is not Christianity. 
This is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that Christ died for sinners. And that's how we find favor with God. It's all God's doing. It has nothing to do with us. And we could live as moral... We could. There are people out there, Clayton, I'm afraid, if I were to address him directly, there are people out there who live these clean lives that Clayton is talking about. And they, according to the scriptures, this is not what God demands. God demands perfection. Not a good job. This is what, if you remember back several episodes... And I talked about how to recognize a good gospel-centered sermon. And I talked about weak law. This is weak law. This is Clayton here telling us that that you need to, quote, submit to God, whatever that means. I don't even, I have no idea what that means. Submit to God. Which, evidently, according to him, means you don't, you don't party a certain way, you don't drink a certain way, you don't have sex a certain way. And then, once you're submitted to God, that will allow you entrance and favor with God. And this is not the Christian message. This is Clayton's message. This is North American Evangelicalism's message. And what has probably driven so many to reject the message because it's not biblical. And it's completely unattainable. I cannot live this way and neither can you and neither can Clayton. He's not living this way, whether he thinks he is or not. He's not making it happen. The law demands much more than what Clayton just described. God's holiness is, is holy above what somebody cutting you off in a line. It has nothing to do with these things. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with what Christ has done for you. And unfortunately, in this message about hell, a very serious subject people are going to get the exact wrong information about it. And, and, it's, and it's patently ridiculous for him, to, for him to say, well, it wouldn't be loving of God to make that person live in the presence of God. That's just, this is, that's just a, a nonsensical statement to make. It's a non sequitur. It doesn't follow. He's, he, he is butchering the doctrine of hell here. And... Hopefully, throughout the course of this, we can correct this and we can talk about what God has done for us in order that we one day see God face to face. See, if you just think below the surface a little bit, you'll understand that if God made everybody go to heaven and there really was no hell and hell is not for real and heaven is the only place that's really for real and we're all going to wind up there one day no matter what we do or what we believe, not only does that offend our sense of justice, we get mad when somebody breaks in front of us in Walmart. Perry gets mad, if you follow him on Twitter, you know this, Perry gets mad when somebody gets in front of him in line at Walmart in the 10 item or less aisle and they've got 27 items in their basket. And here we go again with the whole justice of the line thing. Um, again, completely unbiblical. Biblical justice, according to as one of God's attributes, has nothing to do with this, especially in light of the eschaton. The doctrine of hell cannot be talked about without t- discussing God's holiness, which is mysterious. It cannot be explained as simply as somebody breaking in line on you. Okay, and he's going to kind of carry this on for a while, so I'm going to just leave it and let him go. Right? We get mad at stuff like that. It's the sense of justice that's offended. 
It, would, it wouldn't be heaven if God made everybody go to hell when they die, heaven when they die. It'd be earth. And that's where we're at right now. So what does the Bible say about hell? Is hell for real? Well, according to Jesus, yes. We're going to spend the rest of this message looking at Scripture. So get ready to write. You can look along with your copy of the Bible, or you can look up on the screens with me. Let's look first at Luke chapter 16. Right, and so and now we're getting to some Scripture, which is a plus. And this is kind of the standard fair evangelical deal. They spend the first, I don't know how long this message is, 40 minutes. And he spent the first 10, virtually 10 minutes of it with all this prolegomena, which is just... And none of it has helped to clarify anything. In fact, the people are probably more confused um, than they were before. And if they're not confused and they're buying into this message, they're starting to get really scared. Starting to become really fearful. And he is going to use that as a manipulation technique. To get people to, quote, make decisions for Christ. You'll see how it goes. But this prolegomen has gone on ten minutes, and now he's actually going to talk about some scripture. So let's see how he does with that. This is the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Jesus tells us a lot about the reality of hell in this parable. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores. And longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. That's symbolic of heaven. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, that's another word for hell, it means the grave or death, in Hades, where he was in torment. So that tells us a little bit about hell. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him. Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Notice a few things already. We'll go to the next verse, but notice a few things on every campus, every location. Hell is a place, according to this parable, where you have your full faculties mentally. A place where you can still see back into real life. A place where you can feel physical pain, where there is a flame, where you just want some relief. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. So hell is eternal. Once you're there, you never get out. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family. Because I have five brothers, let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Notice this, that the rich man in hell has full memory of his brothers back on earth and he doesn't want them to wind up in the same place he's in. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets, let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, he's still arguing. He's arguing for his brothers. If someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Notice that in hell, the rich man is fully aware that repenting of sin is the only way to escape God's judgment. Right. Again, here's his first misuse of the concept of repentance. Repentance, biblically, 
historically in Christianity is the repentance from unbelief. It is not the repentance of, I'm going to quit having sex with my girlfriend. It's not the repentance of, I'm going to stop drinking X drink. It's not the repentance of, I'm going to stop going to this party. It's not that repentance. The repentance the scripture speaks of is the repentance from unbelief to belief, and even that is an act of God. Ephesians 2, Paul teaches us, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this, the grace and the faith, is not of yourselves. It, they both are gifts of God. Repentance is not an act of human volition. Dead people, Paul teaches us that we are dead in trespasses and sins. And dead people, last time I checked, dead people do not do anything, let alone make a decision for Christ or a decision to stop sinning. This is not the message of the gospel in the scriptures. The message of the gospel in the scriptures is that God miraculously, amazingly intervenes in our life in the person and work of Jesus Christ and we've got nothing to do with it. We can stop sinning all we want, but at the end of the day, again, this is more weak law from Clayton here to say that we can actually jump over the bar. We can actually accomplish enough to please God so we may have his favor. This, this, is, this is false doctrine. This is blasphemy. This is a complete rep- misrepresentation of God, and it's a complete misunderstanding of Scripture. And he's going to do this throughout his sermon. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Why does Jesus tell this parable? Because he wants to warn us. He wants to make us aware of a, her- of a terrible, horrible place where sin is punished and God's wrath is poured out. But this offends some of us because we think, well, we don't deserve to go to a place like that. Okay, um, this would have been a great place if you wanted to talk about God's wrath being poured out to talk about the cross. Okay? God's, God's wrath has been poured out on the cross. So hell is for something else. The doctrine of hell does not have to do with God's wrath being poured out. According to the scripture, God's wrath, particularly Isaiah 53, and Paul's teachings in Romans, particularly about the wages of sin being death, teach, it, teach us that God's wrath, and, and again, Paul teaches in Corinthians, that the wrath of God is poured out on Christ. God's wrath is not poured out in hell. The hell is something else. And again, I wish Clayton would talk about God's holiness, but he's going to refuse to do that and talk about more about what we need to do and less about what Jesus has done for us in order that we might get to heaven. And this is your standard fair evangelical message when it comes to heaven and hell these days. And it's a different religion. This is not Christianity. More on that in a moment. Bottom line is, if hell wasn't for real, why did Jesus talk about it so much? Let's look at Mark chapter 9, verses 42 through 48. This is what Jesus says in Mark's gospel about judgment and about hell. 
If anyone causes one of these little ones, he's talking about children, and he's talking about people who hurt children. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. I'll explain that to you in a second. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. Nobody wants to go there. They have to be thrown. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where, and he's quoting an Old Testament verse that we'll read in a moment, the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Now Jesus is not telling a parable. He's not telling a story. He's teaching straight to people. He's telling them the the unadulterated, straight-up truth about eternal judgment. He's saying, if you you commit this sin, if you hurt the little ones who believe in me, you're going to wind up in a really bad place. And let me explain it to you. It's going to be so bad. And then he compares it to a place where worms don't die and the fire never dies. Now, there are several words in the New Testament, if you want to do a word study, you'll find this out, that are used interchangeably with the word hell. One is Hades, we've already seen that. The other is Gehenna. Gehenna is an actual place. And I find this interesting. If you've ever been on one of our trips from here at New Spring to Israel with Pastor Perry. Or- okay, before he gets too far off here on his little excursion with Gehenna, which I appreciate, and you're giving us some background here. Uh, again, notice the language here. If you cause one of these little ones to stumble. Now, I'm not, I can't recall a time when I've maybe caused a child to disbelieve or, you know, and maybe it's not even talking about children. Maybe it's just talking about young Christians or, I don't know. I've, have I always taught perfectly, even in this podcast? No. I'm imperfect. Have I caused people to stumble? I bet I have. Has my right eye sinned? Has my right hand done things that is that are evil and unjust? Of course. Of course it has. And if it depends on me to not do these things, then you might as well put my name down for eternal punishment in hell. So now people are very afraid, I would imagine, that oh boy, you know, maybe you know, maybe I did something really horrible and I hit a, I hit a child one time or I, I caused them to believe something that or 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 I um, looked at someone with the wrong eye with hate in my heart or with lust in my heart or I looked at something and coveted it and I wanted it and and I and so I just took it He said you'd say that. He also said if that be the case, 
You'll be dining with the crew, and you'll be naked. <laughs> value to you. So maybe those things, have you ever done those things? All these things that Jesus are talking about are sins that we will, we have committed. 
we will commit, and we will continue to commit. And if Clayton is telling me that to get to heaven, we've got to stop committing these sins, you might as well go ahead and sign me up for hell now. Because, as as Calvin put it, our hearts are idol-making factories, and until the day we die, we will be of unbelief. We will struggle with unbelief until the day we die. Calvin said those things. We will sin until the day we die. It's the difference between what Martin Luther calls the, the, um, the theology of the cross, which is a broken, sinful humanity that realizes it's broken, and a theology of glory which says, you know what, the law is doable. It's, you know, it's not, the bar's not too high. Now that I understand what the, what the situation is, I can, I can get over the bar. That's a theology of glory. God calls us to a theology of the cross that says, I cannot do this. I am incapable of doing this. I will not accomplish it. I will sin. I will cause little ones to stumble. My right eye will sin. My right hand will sin. And it all should be thrown into Gehenna. That is a theology of the cross. What Clayton is talking about is weak law coupled with the theology of glory. This, friends, is not... Biblical Christianity, nor is it historic, it's made up, it's not Christianity at all, and this is what passes for being a quote, follower of Jesus in our day and time in North America. Thank you for listening to God Still Speaks Through Jackasses. We'd love to hear from you. Please email us at discussion at godstillspeaksthroughjackasses.org. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash godstillspeaksthroughjackasses. And follow us on Twitter. Our handle there is at JesusJackass. Please rate and review the cast on Stitcher and iTunes. That helps us quite a bit there as it gets us a little higher on the playlist with those folks. And tell your friends about the cast, especially if you're a little shy about sharing the gospel. Plus that... Your friends will laugh when they hear you say, God still speaks through jackasses. I may fall dead proud, deep and furrow proud, uncanny and so clever, it's our newest plan ever, got tired of whining. All third-party material is used under the authority of the Copyright Act of 1976, 17, Section 107, Fair Use. Save the whole world Just you wait out